0: All right, so what are we doing? What's up, y'all? Yeah? We about to do an AMA. What? About to do AMA. Can okay. I, can, yo, bring in the music now. Come on, man, bring in the music. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church. This is Pass the Mic. Greetings and God bless. Welcome to another episode of Past the Mic. Dynamic Voices for a Diverse Church powered by The Witness, a black Christian collective. I'm your host, Tyler Burns. You can follow me on Twitter for now at Burns23. And joining me as always is the president of The Witness, the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Blue Check verified himself, Uncle Jamar Tisby.
1: <laughs> I knew you were going there. I could see it in your eyes. Oh, I could see it you in your eyes. Saw a little eyes. twinkle in my you eyes. I was like, limp. Ah, here we I saw go. It we still couldn't tie. Where the do rag at? Anyway, man. so st-
0: <laughs> it's not gonna work. I've won. It's not gonna work. Um, and so we're here live in ATL. What's up, Atlanta? Major shouts out to Cornerstone Church in ATL. Can y'all give it up for Cornerstone Church for letting us be here? On my right, we have Elodie is on our team katana she's incredible she's been with us for so long here at the witness
2: um so there's a lot of questions and we're gonna try really hard to get to them um so let's get to it the first one it's a banger <laughs> since the transition from Rand to the witness have you seen opportunities to share the gospel with others through the conversation of injustice
1: Great question. Yes. So look, the name The Witness is deliberate, right? Like, we're really serious about sharing the good news and we want as many people to know about this beautiful Savior that we have, Jesus Christ, right? But we were seeing that even the name Reformed African-American Network was sort of off-putting, especially to people who weren't Christian, right? And either they didn't have a category for it, or if they did, it wasn't very positive. (laughs) Um, And so since becoming the witness, we've had a lot of different opportunities. One in particular, I was with Bo in Memphis for MLK 50. And we had recent – the change was still relatively recent, but we had gotten press passes as a faith-based media company.
0: The MLK50 at the National Civil Rights. At the
1: National Civil Rights Museum, not the other –
0: I just want to clarify, just if you didn't know. Yes, yes, (laughs) yes.
1: So we were at this dinner um, with, like – movers and shakers in Memphis because this particular company was in charge of basically hyping up Memphis. So they wanted these journalists to meet with local Memphians. And so we were at this dinner and we're surrounded by other journalists, none of whom are from a Christian publication, most of whom aren't Christian. And they're just asking us about what we're doing and who we are and so we introduce ourselves as a faith-based media company we said we're concerned about justice and, and here's why we're at MLK 50 and and by the end of the conversation we're basically sharing the gospel and like how Jesus is concerned about the suffering of marginalized people and the way they were receiving it was they were receiving it right and I don't know that we would have had that opportunity to witness had we not because my whole thing is you can't be salt and light unless you're in a place that is decaying and salt needs to preserve it or you're in a place of darkness that needs light, right? But so many times Christians, we, 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 we put a barricade up between us and quote unquote the world as if we're not part of it. And, so, and even in my degree program, which is at a secular university, just the opportunity to rub shoulders with people who aren't Christian, but they know I am and they're like, you don't quite fit the category that we have. I'm like, Jesus didn't either. I'm just the aroma. Right. And so you can take it or leave it. But we're here.
0: Yeah, that's a great question, because I've experienced the same thing locally in my current context. And um, there are a lot of people who um, are activists now or justice seekers and who are public about that, who have left the church in my particular city, in my particular context, uh, because the church was not speaking to this, and by church I, I do mean black churches as well. I know there's this there's this myth that like all black churches speak about justice and every no, week, a whole you know, it's, it's, right it's there. not true. Uh, it's not true at all, actually. And so when we did the Black Panther meetup down in Pensacola, uh, before then I had I had been reaching out to certain activists, telling them about what we were doing. They've been listening to the podcast. And um, it it created so many great conversations. And then at the Black Panther meetup, there were a few that were there. I didn't even introduce them to you like you didn't even know. Yeah, you were hiding them from me. I got you. Yeah, and so they were were fascinated by the connections that we made um, and how unapologetic we, we are about how God has created us. And so that is very appealing. I think one of the things that Christians miss is Christians strive, especially in the South, strive really hard to be theologically accurate. And so it's like theological, theological, theological. And we say amen to all that. But the reality is sometimes people just want to know that we're uh, real human beings and um, we're normal and we flourish. And um, that is one thing that has been very appealing to people to hear that, okay, I don't have to just throw the Bible in someone's face or throw a systematic theology book in someone's face Um, that there are a number of different ways that I can identify with where they're at. And so that's been, it's been freeing, it's been awesome, and it's been great to have those people in our church.
2: Okay, Tyler, this question is for you. Having grown up in a family of black evangelical conservatives and now having seen a new light, how do you engage social justice issues with family members who raised you and whom you love but they are blind to issues you can no longer ignore. Well, thank you guys for joining
0: us! (laughs) That's (laughs) the
2: mic!
0: Okay! PTM, Atlanta, that's how you're going to treat us. Uh, It's a really, actually, it's a really good question. Um, Are they going to hear this? Let me see if I can keep this. Um, Yeah, um, so for those of you who don't know, I grew up in a, um, in, a, in a black church, but it was a very conservative environment, particularly in my home. And um, we attended a, a private Christian school, me and my uh, two siblings. Two of them are actually still in that college environment. And so it was very conservative, very fundamentalist. And so there were a lot of things that were, if you guys have ever heard of the Abeka book curriculum, the homeschool curriculum, we, we went to the hub school. So I went to the hub school from K-5 to 12th grade, then went to the college for two years. And then I got out and then went to Liberty. So it was like, it was like a whole bunch better. But, um, and so, uh, and, sorry. <laughs> just, he got a
1: testimony. Y'all. He got a triggered. testimony.
0: And, um, and so grew up hearing maybe four or five people who would be classified as black. And, um. Uh, in the civil rights movement, and grew up feeling very, um, once I realized, feeling very lied to, betrayed, and it actually has been very difficult, if I'm being 100% transparent with you, I've had these conversations with my parents, because um, I'm like, why did you send me to an environment where they were going to lie to me. Like, I don't understand. Like, I understand it's a great education and all this, but I don't understand why you sent me to an environment where they were not going to tell me who I am, like, who God created me to be. I don't understand that. Um, and so, like, we were doing that, and um, there were probably a few of those conversations, and then last year it got really heavy because I was, I was very angry with that. Um, So I've started talking to some people about healing from that. There's trauma there, there's triggers there. Um, My sister just graduated from the the academy, and it's very difficult for me to talk to teachers um, and be around that environment. And so it's been difficult, but it's actually over the past four or five months through, ironically, pass the mic, um, my brother and sister have started asking me more questions. I've been able to give them, even this past week, actually on Monday, um, we were sitting in an office and, um, and we were talking about book suggestions for black history and I want to learn more about who I am in Christ as a black Christian, so where should I go? It's like, well, you know, there's this website, it's called The Witness, um, <laughs> and uh, suggested some work. So it's it's been a healing process and even working with my father on staff at a church where I'll unapologetically say certain things from the pulpit that are borderline. He's been very receptive um, in listening and hearing and understanding. And uh, so it's its actually, it's been difficult for the first few years when I was back in Pensacola, but now its um, it's been very rewarding and, and life-giving. So.
1: But I do, lo- I, you know, I like what you said about the podcast opening up conversations, because I've talked to a few folks here, and it's been a similar story, whether it's opening stuff up for them that they didn't see or they've been able to pass it along. So sometimes it's easier where you're not the speaker, you're not the voice uh, because there's so much relational baggage there already um, to just say, hey, listen to this and let's talk about it or read this article. And, and I hope the witness can be a resource in that way.
0: Now Jamar knows the behind the scenes of like how hard those conversations have been for me. So I don't want to paint this rosy picture. Those conversations have been hard, like really difficult. Like, if you say just preach the gospel one more time, that's what y'all don't understand. Like, we were talking about just preach the gospel. Y'all like, oh, he talking about the even. No, I'm talking about my church. Bro. What are you talking about? Like, And so it's it's tough. And so there's an honor aspect, but then there's also a, there is a challenging aspect
1: to I it I mean, as well. it, it, you know, that the, the whole passage about speaking the truth in love is for the purpose of building up the body, right? Like, so without healthy, Conflict and confrontation, the body will not grow it's sick, um, and I think we have a sickness in the church regarding racism. I think our ch- churches in general are very weak on justice. I mean, are we known by non Christians as advocates and champions for justice? Um, I would argue, if not no, then at very least not enough right um, but but this idea, truth takes courage, right? Because truth heals, but it hurts along the way. And so we don't want to face that hurt us causing it or even us being hurt by the truth as we learn it ourselves. Uh, but there's no other way God lays out for it. Like, like he said, the way is narrow. He meant it.
2: <laughs> okay, so. I have a follow-up question. How do we make sure that the gospel is not hijacked by those who want Jesus, the racial reconciler, but not Jesus, the only begotten son of God?
0: Yeah, we have to keep in mind that the reason why Jesus is the racial reconciler is because he is the only begotten son of God, right? Like that there is, he's announcing a kingdom and he is the king of it. And so we're one under that king. We're not just one because we're one. We're one because he bought that. That's what he purchased. Um, so, I think it's important for us to recognize that that flows out of a theology. Right. And, you know, different people have different theological stripes and denominations, but w- we don't separate Jesus' humanity from his divinities. He, uh, he was 100% man and 100% God at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, preaching the fullness of that, you, you can't run from that um, because he makes clear claims and, and backs them up.
1: Right. So, you can fall off the ditch on both sides, um, you can fall off on the side of Jesus is the only begotten son, which sounds like, we'll just preach the gospel. And as you convert people, then the world will get better, person by person. Uh, you can fall off on the other side, which says, well, religion is just about making this world a better place. And, you know, actually, all this other stuff about individual sin and salvation, yeah, yeah, yeah miss me with that. We, gotta, we got work to do right now. Um, the way Jesus lines it out is, like you're saying, he's king in a kingdom. Do you, have you given your allegiance to the king? And if you have, then guess what you just signed up for? It's to do justice, right? So we have dichotomized the two in a really unhealthy way. Now, we can distinguish between them so that we can talk about it, but we can't separate them, especially in practice. That's why we were talking about this before. You can't sit there and tell me that you have this, this tight exegetical method and hermeneutical method and this really solid theology, but your ethics is whack. If your ethics are whack, you got whack theology. I know your theology by what you do. It's lived. So, you know, I think there are a lot of people who have really good theology. You this don't know me. about anything they've written, but you see it written on their book of life, that's right? So.
0: This is me trying to not run around. The...
1: <laughs> do what you got to do, brother.
0: That's my, that's my tribe. That's my tradition.
2: Um, how do you support the flourishing of an area without gentrifying it? <laughs> Let's all just go home right now. <laughs> I'm just going to be here.
1: Yes. <laughs> no, we do have uh, a, a podcast uh, episode with um, Sather uh, from Crew Inner City, as it used to be called, and it's called Gentrifying Justly. So you can look up that episode, Gentrifying Justly. Um, it's so very contextual, though, right? Like, so a lot of times we're looking at headlines, we're looking at big events, and we're, we're thinking on a national level. Look at your local neighborhood community. And for me, I'm looking at people who are already doing the work. Like, I don't have that answer. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not studied up on uh, gentrification, I'm not studied up on particular residential dynamics. Or
0: even, I think they're also talking not just, like, specifically gentrification, but also, like, any area of justice. How do you, wow. so like, for example, if, you know, we have people ask a lot, should I go to a black church? But if I go to a black church, is that gentrifying the black right, church? Right, is right. that, you know, it's kinda like, how do I get involved in justice without taking over and making people feel like they're being pushed to the margins? If I'm if I'm understanding it properly,
1: Don't well, I think that's me. a good application. So, what's, what's your answer?
0: Hmm, that is a great question. I think it's really important for us to, um, as much as possible, um, have these open, honest conversations with people of color, particularly Black people and Black Christians, about what is my presence here doing to you and for you. It's really important to have that open and honest conversation. That's a conversation that people don't like to have because we like to assume that our good intentions will gloss over any pain, hurt, or injury that we're causing to people. That's right, yeah. You have to be honest enough to listen to your black brothers and sisters in whatever scenario that is, whether it's going to a black church, whether that's being a part of an organization. and You have to be honest, Like, what is my presence doing right now And am I needed in this space or do you need me to go and talk to my family members? I'm just saying, if you have that honest, if you ask that honest question, people will answer that question and they will say, well, maybe really, actually, we need you to go and tell your church to stop planting in the middle of this neighborhood and clearing out all these people and treating us like a missionary project. so so I'm just saying maybe if you have that conversation you will find out very quickly what people and and not even and I would say do it by even people who aren't Christians people who aren't believers because we like to keep it because oh they're going to be nice and they're going to be like we're one in Christ brother and it's okay no I mean people who are on the street they'll tell you the truth and so are you willing to hear the truth from people of color and are you willing to take a step back and say what is my presence doing here
2: yeah Okay, so a couple of people asked um, this question. What are some of the more significant realizations you've had while decolonizing your theology?
1: Wow. 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 I realized, so, so a big part of my decolonization, which is ongoing, by the way, it's not like, you know, hey, I'm going to spend this week and it's going to be done. <laughs>
0: Spring cleaning. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Uh, People have
0: made that like a sport, like I'm decolonizing my bookshelf, wow. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Okay. That's not over. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, so it's an ongoing process. Part of a a, a big lever in my process has been studying history and learning all the stories that that have either, either gone untold or been glossed over, right? And so, one of the things that I'm realizing in this process of decolonization is that the issues in the American church are so much more than race. They're not less than race, but there are so many other issues. It's complicated, right? Uh, for instance, e- our view of economics. Somehow along the way, capitalism got baptized as like Christ's way of dealing with money. And, and it just, I, I've had to reflect we live in the richest nation in the history of the world. And Jesus says something about a camel going through the eye of a needle in rich people, which by the way, by a global standard, I am. So it's, it's it convicting for me. But at the same time, you know, there's also a branch of Christianity in America that's all about free market, that's all about capitalism. And, I'm, and, and then somebody says- Cut
0: his mic, cut his mic off.
1: And then somebody says, socialism. Which in America, it's not even, it's, it's, it's liberal capitalism. So we haven't done the work of exploring the, 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 the theory. But so, right, so obviously that's connected to race, okay? Because you gotta understand the chattel principle if you're gonna understand race-based chattel slavery. We need cheap labor. There's no labor cheaper than free labor. So guess who the money accrues to? And all these people are unpaid. And then you get to the other R word, reparations. This is money, y'all. I don't care how you feel about the federal government doing something, you know an entire people group has been defrauded for centuries. What you gonna do about it? That's, that, I mean, to me it's that simple, right? So it's so much, it's, it's, it's this complicated not that includes race and racism, but it also goes to, it, honestly, it goes to the culture wars, a lot of issues, a lot of ways we view the world as us against them, rather than us for them, even if it means confronting you with the truth, but I'm going to do it because I love you, and I want you to know my joy because of Jesus.
0: Hey, <laughs> <laughs> I'm... Uh... Anybody who wants to join me in decolonizing our bookshelves next week, (laughs) let's hit me up. Um,
2: How do we point out weaknesses in praxis, justice, or theology, or any area, while not setting up a standard that none of us can meet?
0: Yeah, it's a very interesting question, I think, mainly because there is this mentality that when people push for justice, and I've heard this a lot, that um, Christians pushing for justice haven't been clear about what they want. What do you want? What do you want? Like, we can't, what what do you want us? You just want us to, and then they throw out these hyperboles. Oh, you you just want us not to to exist? Do you want to have this all to yourself? Do you want us to just, yeah, well, you know. And so I think a lot of people, they say these crazy things, and I think, first of all, we have to take a step back and say, um, whatever standard we set up, if we do truly believe in the gospel, whatever standard we set up, we know we're not going to perfectly meet And so we recognize that we're all sinful fallen human beings, but it's grace and mercy that has saved us. And so we recognize that, yo, even if we don't have the perfect meeting of the standard, that's not a reason not to push for justice. It's a reason to lean more into repenting at the feet of a good king who's going to pick you up and say, now go and sin no more. And so we kind of have to take a step back first and say, why are we asking that question? Um, and is that question used as a means of deflection to ignore? I'm not saying this person asked, but is that question that someone else may be asking used as a means of deflection to dealing with hard things and hard truths? A lot of people ask that question simply because it goes further than what they're willing to go. Okay. So if the gospel is telling me that I need to give back what was stolen to defrauded people over the course of centuries, well, I want my kid to get into the best school. And then when it comes to your house, then you say, well, that's too much. That's a standard nobody can meet. No, it's a standard you can meet. It's a standard you're unwilling to meet. So you have to distinguish between the two. You know, are you going to, hey, I'll, anybody I've defrauded, Zacchaeus, I'll pay them back fourfold. Mm, that's good. Oh, what are you telling me, to write a check?
2: Write that check.
0: I'm, <laughs> listen. <laughs> listen.
2: I'm oh, sorry. My bad y'all show no it's you it's you go ahead
0: if you need to do something (laughs) listen people like well what are you asking me write a check maybe why not that's the lord and what would prevent you why do you feel like that would somehow be a problem for you listen we had a, a local thing that aaron and i actually worked on it was a it was a statement about um racism in our particular area we worked on it with three or four different pastors a diverse team And there were so many pastors. At one point, Pensacola, you have to understand something about Pensacola. At one point, Pensacola had more churches per capita than any city in the world. A church literally on every corner. Two, three churches literally on every corner. And only a handful of pastors found it acceptable to sign a joint cross-denominational church ride, a statement against racism and racial injustice because we included this line. We believe in private reconciliation and public restitution. We didn't even say reparations. We said private reconciliation and public restitution. And you know what they said? What does restitution mean? When we told them, they said, all this other stuff is good, but that, nah, can't sign it. Because it went further than what they were willing to go. Because they asked Jesus, what does it take to get into the kingdom? And when he told them, they walked away sad.
2: I got some real smart friends, y'all. they so smart. Um, Jamar, this is for you. Um, you talked about calling people out with a heart bent towards constructive and slash building up of the church. Would you call a particular church out because you know from personal experience the pain and trauma that that church caused you and the trauma they're causing others?
1: I have not done so to my recollection on social media, if it's if it's my church, I handle it with church people, mm-hmm. um, and I think that should be the standard, right? Like, so in a lot of cases, you don't know the person or you don't know the the church or whatever. Um, you got to be judicious on that. But if, if, if you have some sort of personal connection, then handle it that way. But my general rule is, if something happened publicly, especially on social media or in an article, it's 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 available for being called out because you put it out there, right? So I don't, I don't mind doing that. So um, that would be my standard though. I would not air something that was not public, publicly, necessarily. Um, I could I could imagine a scenario where you've tried to do certain things and it got to a point, like with, with, with the church to the Me Too stuff, like a lot of people tried going the traditional routes of talking to pastors, talking to elders with no response, then yeah, because you're hurting people. And to me, that's the standard, right? When, when, when people get called out, and this is just a human instinct, right? Our instinct is to protect and preserve our reputation, our institution, our organization, um, without actually thinking about the impact and the pain that was caused toward the victim. And we need to have we need to center the person in pain and not try to preserve our our own reputation first. So so like I said, I can imagine a scenario where something that happened privately must become public in order to reconcile it. And
0: also journalists as well, you know. So journalists who have heard private stories of deep pain and and trauma and then airing that out, like I can I can see the utility in that, lots of utility in that. Mm-hmm. Um, talk- Y'all have no questions about comic books or like Star Wars? It's a root like-
2: crowd, see? Actually, Bo, old annoying self, just tweeted, <laughs>
1: Breaking,
2: news. Breaking news. Mark Hamill, Billy D. Williams, and Carrie Fisher, via old footage, have been confirmed for Star Wars Episode, episode 9. Your thoughts? Nerds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited about this.
0: This is great news, okay? Um, I'm gonna say something though. Why wasn't Billy D in the first two films? I mean, y'all don't everybody likes Lando. We're talking about the Falcon. What were you saving him for? But no, nah, I'm really excited about it, <laughs> it's all good.
2: Um, this one just came in. Can you speak to the nuance of the strain of being too black because you don't assimilate for the white church and not militant enough? for the black
1: church.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mr. Black Church. Well, I will say one thing is, don't assume that the black church is militant. Don't assume that the black church is radical. Um, Don't assume that the black church is unreasonable. It's really important for us to um, carefully handle those caricatures. I've heard a lot of people say, Um, I'm in the middle on this side, you know, they say I'm not this. On that side, they say I'm not that. And I say, I understand the feeling of that, but when you deal with a group of people that have been systemically oppressed, disenfranchised, hated, killed, and sought out in hate, you have to put yourselves in the pained shoes and say "There there is something that is going on to where they they are skeptical in certain settings of people's fidelity to them and to the truth. And so we have to be honest about that enough to say, it's not always that one side is necessarily radical or militant, it's just that is the effect of so many centuries of pain that has been passed down to this group of people that feels like, you know, they're constantly under suspicion even from their white Christian brothers and sisters. And so I would start by saying that Um, I would answer the question by saying um, you speak the truth to everyone. I'm on the side of truth, no matter who's saying it. And so I think it's important for us to be true and faithful. And there are things to call out in both sectors. And there are more sectors of the church than white church and black church, too. I think that's important um, to say. But in our context, you speak the truth. And if the truth alienates from one side or the other, don't think that necessarily means that alienates your personhood. They may just land differently than you do. And I think it's fair to say that. And it's OK. Like people, we're not for everybody. That's right. The witness takes a side in certain areas. And we're not for everyone. And some people are like, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have taken a side. We're like, we saw no other choice. And other people, they're like, yo, we're going to be straight down the middle. We're not going to take a side. We're going to do this and do that. I'm like, listen, that's great. That may be your calling. I'm just saying, at some point in time, we take a side. That's right. And that may not be for everyone. And that's okay. The body has many functions.
1: That's right. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, I think church folk in an effort to be reconcilers, refuse to take a side. And justice has a side. There's justice and injustice. Right now, there are certain situations where you got to discern and be wise and all that, but there are a lot of issues that are pretty clear.
0: Yeah, ain't two sides to every story. Everybody ain't ain't good people on both sides. Yes, it's not very fine people on both. Nope. In every story, it's just not like I'm just. just...
2: Well, y'all, that was the last question, and it was great. Let's get up for these really, really smart people. (laughs) Give it up for Elodie.